What was the best day of your life? For some of us, it might have been your might have been your wedding day. In fact, in fact, guys, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a softball here. I'm going to give you an easy out. So so raise your hand if your wedding day was the best day of your life. All right, a couple of you guys picked up on that. Yeah, yeah, best day of our life. So, so you're standing up on the stage. You look back, and your your wife is uh, uh, your wife to be is coming down the aisle. Best day ever. Or or maybe, ladies, for you as you're as you're coming down the aisle and you look up, and the church is just perfect. Everything is beautiful, and man, it is just wonderful. And you're thinking, all, all your dreams have come true. Now, now, maybe not the guy, but everything else looked really great. It's just like you envisioned it. Best day ever. Or maybe it was the birth of your first child. The first time you were a dad or the first time you were a mom. It's true also uh, of each child that, that follows after that. Maybe that was the best day ever. Or maybe it was when a real estate agent handed over the keys to your first house. You... You thought with great pride, I'm finally grown up. I'm an adult. Uh, I, I'm a homeowner. Those of us who've gone to Mexico, one of our favorite times, I think everyone would, would agree to this, one of our favorite moments is the, the dedication day when we uh, have one of our team members hand keys over to the homeowner. And, and they have keys to a house that they, that they never thought they would have and knew that they could never afford. And, and without fail, and I've witnessed uh, over 20 of those ceremonies, with, without fail, the, the homeowners, the new homeowners always have tears in their eyes, and oftentimes we do ever, we do as well. Best day ever. Uh, maybe, maybe it's when you, your, your child graduated, uh, maybe from, from high school uh, and, and you're thinking, well, I never thought it would happen, but they made it, or, or college, and you're thinking, whew, no more tuition payments. Uh, maybe it was when you accepted a job or, or, or got a promotion or made a move, or maybe it's a retirement. The, the truth is we can look back over our lives and reminisce, and we can recall many, many times that would qualify as best day ever. I can only guess, uh, as I've been talking, that some of you are, maybe your mind ha- have gone there. You maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're already thinking, well, what would my best day be? And maybe you've already pulled up a couple of those. And, and for some of you, maybe you drive home today and your, your, your wife will look at you, your husbands, and say, honey, what was the best day of your life? Except for our wedding day. Of course, that was the best. But second to that, what was the best day of your life? Now, what if you ask that question of the prophet Elijah? I'm, I'm confident that there would be no hesitation. I seriously doubt that he would have, that he would have had to say, now, now let me think about that for a second. Let me ponder on that. I, I would bet money that Elijah's response would have been, oh, that's easy. Hands down, it was Mount Carmel. Last Sunday we started the sermon titled, What Follows a Miracle? We saw that Elijah had experienced not one, but three amazing miracles there on Mount Carmel. He, he called down fire from heaven and destroyed the, the altar and everything on it, the rocks, dirt, everything. He, he prayed, and even though it hadn't rained in three years, it rained and the drought ended. God's Spirit came on him, and he ran six miles. Even though he was probably a little bit older at this time, I would assume a little overweight, he ran to Jez, Jezreel, outrunning King Ahab's 
chariot that was being pulled by the finest steeds in the land. I, I'm sure that uh, that that was the best day ever. I imagine when he when he arrived at Jezreel and he thought to himself back thought back on the events of the day and and, his, and he's thinking, man, that was just amazing. That was just that was that has to be the best day. He might have thought to himself, that totally makes up for the Kirith Ravine. That totally makes up for uh, staying in the widow's house for two years. Man, that was the best day ever. I wonder if tomorrow can top that. Uh, if you were here last week, you know what happens next. You know what follows a miracle. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings, and we're going we're gonna to look again at... Literally the, the same verses we looked at last week, and we're going to kind of open that up and and uh, take a, a little bit deeper look. and And actually, we're going to finish this all this this whole thought next week. But if you have your Bibles, First Kings chapter nineteen. Let me read the first four verses. Now Ahab, this is right after Mount Carmel, the victories. They went to Jezreel. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like it was one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. So, Following Elijah's best day ever, he receives a threat from Queen Jezebel, and Elijah's reaction. Elijah's reaction was, "Can can can we uh, uh, agree on this?" It was unexpected. It, if you were following along when we got here last week and read that, that that's probably not what you expected. I, I I don't think it's wrong to say I'm a little disappointed. Uh, and, and and all the things we know about Elijah, all the victories that he won, all the cool stuff that had happened, it's it's kind of out of character. Maybe it's a little bit shocking, but but even in the midst of all of that, it's believable. It's believable in part because I could see myself doing the same thing. Last week, I asked the question, how did it happen? How did he go from the mountaintop, literally, uh, on Mount Carmel, uh, uh, literally and, and spiritually from that mountain? How did he go from the mountaintop to the broom tree? Well, he, he actually did two things wrong. We, we looked at one of them last week. Here, here's what we looked at last week. There was overconfidence. Um, Elijah was overconfident in himself. Now, pointed out last week, and maybe, maybe I was out on a limb a little bit, but but if you look close at Elijah's life, there were some, some cracks in his story. There were a, a couple times that, that you begin to notice that he thought about himself and that, that maybe he was putting a little bit of pride in himself instead of in God and, and giving himself the glory instead of God the glory. It, it was small, but since you know what happened in the end, maybe that's what happened. He put confidence in himself, and he was also overconfident in his plan up to that point. We talked last week how everything had worked out perfectly. Everything God said was going to happen happened exactly like, like he had said. And possibly Elijah began to dream on his own about what was going to happen next, and he got ahead of God. And 
he went ahead with plans without waiting to hear from God first. So, so there was overconfidence. And here's the second mistake he made. There was, a, there, there was underappreciation. He underappreciated what God had done. How do you go from the best day ever, a mountaintop experience, to laying under a broom tree wanting to die? It's really simple. He didn't appreciate. He he underappreciated God's purpose. See, see, there was an underappreciation what for what God had for him, for God's purpose in his life. See, Elijah missed the big picture. He forgot that God had plans for him. Now, now maybe I maybe I missed something in the story. And if you've noticed it, you can you can correct me later on and let me know where I missed it. But maybe I missed this in the story about Elijah. Maybe there was dialogue that isn't recorded for us, and there very well obviously was, but but there's dialogue that I'm unaware of, but but I don't get the impression that God had ever promised Elijah that life was going to be easy. I don't think I don't think God ever said to Elijah, again, if, if it's in the text somewhere and I've missed it, let me know. But I don't think God had ever said to Elijah, well, as long as you are faithful, as long as you do things right, as long as you stay committed to me, as long as you are a dutiful follower, things are going to be easy. In fact, I think if we look, the evidence is quite the opposite. The evidence of his story seems to inform us something different because up until Mount Carmel, Elijah's life and his ministry had been anything but easy. Uh, now, now I'm going to put you on the, the spot since we're a little thin here. Uh, there, there's less people to answer these questions. I've got a series of questions that, that, that we're going to kind of go through and, and look at what Elijah went through before he got to, uh, before Mount Carmel happened. So, so I'm going to test how, how close you guys have been paying attention. If you want to cheat, go back to, to chapter 17 and maybe you can buzz through real quick and get an answer, but. But we'll see how well you've done or maybe how well I've done to, to uh, relay this information. So, so someone just answer, what was Elijah's first prophecy? What, what was the first thing God said, hey, you're going to be my prophet. This is what I want you to say. What was his first prophecy? That, no rain. Okay. Someone said go. Well, that's, that, that, that came a little bit later, actually. But uh, no, it's not going to rain. He said, it's not going to rain till, till I say so. So, so, uh, so after his first prophecy, where did he go? Where did God send Elijah? This may be a little tougher. <laughs> you go ahead and say, I can't, Kirith Ravine. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. That's how I've been saying. He sent him to the Kirith Ravine. Uh, now, someone besides Peg, way to go, Peg, you're making me feel good here. Uh, someone besides Peg, and if they don't answer Peg, you give me the answer. Uh, when, when he got there, how did he get food? Ravens brought it. Yeah, yeah. What did they bring just out of? Meat and bread. Yeah, brought meat and bread. Okay, this is a little tougher. So, so he was there for a while, and then God told him to leave. Why did God tell him to leave? That's right, the, the, the brook there at the Kirith Ravine dried up, 
Uh, so, so he arrived there. He's got water. Food's coming day and night, even though it's not the, the greatest in the world. His food wasn't coming from Grubhub or Uber Eats or pizza delivery. It was a raven bringing some raw meat and probably some stale bread. But, uh, and, and, but then the water dries up. And uh, so this is this next two one a little tough. So, so God sent him next. Where did, where did God send him? Gavin, I see your lips moving. Be bold. He just lost his boldness. To the widows, but what was the name of the city? Good, good answer, Rita. Zarephath. She's cheating because she's reading it right up. But I said you could do that. So send him to Zarephath. Now, now here's a small thing. You're not going to find it in the text. But there's something kind of peculiar about Zarephath that made it even more interesting that that's where God sent him. Does anyone remember that? I've talked about it a couple different times. Why? Why was it so odd that God sent him to Zarephath? Anyone? No, well, they were because the famine was everywhere. But Zarephath was the center of Baal worship. And so God sent him to the center of Baal worship. It would be like, and I, I, I try not to be political at all, but it's just this is a softball here. It would be like if Trump went to the, uh, to, to Portland and hung out and lived in Portland, that, you know, probably is not going to happen. But that's exactly what God, God sent him to the, the, the center of Bell worship. And because Bell was the God of, of harvest and the God of productivity, because it was raining, that was a slap at Bell. So he sent him right in the heart of that and had him hang out. So, so here's the point. Uh, God had a purpose for his life. But would you agree? Would you agree that Elijah probably wouldn't have picked any of that stuff? Now, now let me backtrack. Maybe he would have picked. Yeah, I'll, I'll be a prophet. That sounds pretty cool. But then again, maybe not, because he he knew it was a risky job being a prophet. He knew that Jezebel was killing prophets. So maybe he would have said when God said, "Do you want to be a prophet?" If he'd given him an option, he might have said, "No, I'll pass. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing." But but I don't think Elijah would have chosen. To, to prophesy a drought, to, to live in a, a, a ravine, being fed by ravens, to have water dry up, to have to go to zero. I don't think that, that he would have picked any of that, but God had a purpose and a plan for Elijah's life. But you know what? He would have picked Mount Carmel. Who, who wouldn't pick Mount Carmel? I, I, I pray to God and he sends fire. I pray again and he sends rain. I I. I lace up my uh, my Nikes and I run like Usain Bolt. I mean, who wouldn't who wouldn't do that? But don't miss this point. Elijah's spiritual battle, and and when he was under the broom tree, don't don't underestimate uh, uh, that it was a spiritual battle. When he lay there wanting to die, saying, "God, I'm useless. I'm no better off than my ancestors." Elijah's spiritual battle didn't happen during his hardships. Did you catch that? When, when he was sitting in a ravine, getting fed, when, when he was in the middle of, of bell worship, hanging out and not having, not having any contact, during all that hardship, he, he didn't have a spiritual crisis. It didn't come during his hardship. His spiritual battle happened after his victory. Church, what follows a miracle? 
It doesn't have to. It doesn't always. But we can be deceived into believing that God's purpose and plan for our life is that we should always live in a miracle. It, it, it's easy for us when, when God is blessing us, when things are going perfectly, when, when it's like we're a miracle. We pray and God answers and everything is just, man, just boom, boom, boom. It's easy to, it's easy to stay there and think, well, that's, what, that's where I'm supposed to be. That is God's plan and purpose for my life is to live in this miracle. But if we're honest with ourselves, when we find ourselves spiritually under a broom tree, and and if we're honest, we have to admit that sometimes we've been there. I, I know I've been there a whole lot more often than I would like to admit. Sometime, even recently, I found myself there. When we find ourselves saying, I give up, it's, it's too hard, I'm a failure, I can't do this anymore, I'm worthless, God, you can't use me. When we begin to feel sorry for ourselves because things aren't working out like we planned. We think, God, if you're God, you wouldn't let me go through this. And we become discouraged because as a Christ fire, surely, surely we should have the luxury of living in a miracle at all times. Have, have you ever thought when it appears that life is trying to destroy you, when things are falling apart, when, when all your plans go awry, when life, instead of being easy and blessed, is difficult and hard? Do you find yourself thinking, but God, I've been faithful. But God, I've raised my family in the church. But God, I've trusted you with my tithe. But God, I've I've served you. But God, it shouldn't be this way. When, When we think that way, we're just like Elijah, who did not appreciate that God had a purpose for him, just like he does for us. And And I think what happened is that Elijah forgot two things there. Here's the first one. He forgot that in the midst of that purpose that God had a plan. He forgot that God's purpose, that God had a purpose, and and part of that purpose, within that purpose, he had a plan for him. Sometimes we find ourselves under the broom tree just like Elijah, and we think, why am I going through this? Why am I here? But God has a purpose for you, and he does, and he has a plan. We, we end up there because it's so easy for us to, just like Elijah, underappreciate that God has a purpose for our life, and his plan may include times when life isn't easy. What, what did Jesus say in John chapter 16, verse 33? What did Jesus say about life? He said in verse 33, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He didn't say that, that life was going to be easy for his, his followers. In, in fact, to the 12, he said, when, when they said, hey, we're willing to die for you, he said, no, you're all going to deny me, but yes, you will die for me. He didn't say life was going to be easy. In, in fact, it was quite the opposite. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says there, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Not, not because everything was going great. Not because they, they showed up the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin endorsed everything they were doing. The Sanhedrin said, hey, how, how, do, we be, how do we be a follower of Jesus? What do we need to do to support your ministry? No. They, they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They rejoiced because they went through hardship for, for Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, 
Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. We studied uh, Philippians a while back. We know where he was. He was in jail. And literally, Paul didn't know if he was going to live or die. He had no idea whether he would make it out uh, of that jail and, and, and be able to visit the, the church at Philippi again or if he was going to die there. But he said, I am here because of God's purpose, and God has a plan. Because since I'm here, I get to preach through the Praetorium Guard. God is using me in the midst of this. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Surely that's wrong. Shouldn't it say consider it joy when things work out, when things go your way, when you live in a miracle, when you're blessed, when everything goes exactly like you planned? See, see, God is there in the miracle. And, and sometimes we get, we, we get to enjoy that mountaintop. Just like Elijah, sometimes everything works out just like God has planned for us and, and it, it meshes with what we thought it should be. And so sometimes we live in the miracle. When God answers a prayer, when God blesses us beyond what we deserve, we, we live in a miracle. And, and there are times that we live in that miracle and God is in it. But God is also there when we're under the broom tree. You see, it's easy for us to miss that part of God's plan for us is to remain faithful to him even in. It's easy to miss that God's plan for us is to remain faithful even in. Even in the midst of chaos even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of setbacks, even, believe it or not, in the midst of doubts. Because remaining faithful, remaining faithful under the broom tree, remaining faithful might just grow our faith in ways that that it never would have grown if we'd stayed in a miracle. See, remaining faithful might be preparing us for a ministry or an opportunity of service that we cannot even yet see. Remaining faithful might be the place where God is going to use you to bless someone who, who's laying under the broom tree saying, I want to die. My life is worthless. See, he forgot that he had a purpose in that within that purpose, God had a plan. And and, and so even though he feared for his life and he he thought it was all over, that he wasn't worthless, God God had a plan. The second thing he forgot, and we're, we're just about done here, the second thing he forgot is that God had power. See, he forgot. I, 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 how do you do that in 24 hours? And, and yet that's what happened. How do you forget that God had power? How do you forget that God was, was on Mount Carmel and answered all of your prayers, but, but now you, you don't believe in that power? If there's a God that can send fire, if there's a God that, that can send uh, rain, if there's a God that can give you unnatural speed, then Elijah, surely, surely he can save you from Jezebel. And if God can save us, from our sin, if God can remain faithful to us in every way, if God can walk beside us in every situation, then church, 
Our God has the power to protect us and use us according to his purpose. Even, even if his plan has us in difficult situations. Kitten and Marla found themselves in the ER yet again. It, it was a place they were quite familiar with, uh, even a, a place where they were on first-name basis with many of the nurses and the techs and the doctors. But their familiarity with the ER didn't make it any less stressful. You see, their five-year-old son had been in and out of the ER many times, and oftentimes those those ER visits were followed by lengthy hospitalizations. And in fact, uh, the, the truth was they were wore out physically, emotionally, and, and even spiritually. And as they sat that night in the ER watching their son struggle to breathe, they had to admit that there were doubts in their faith. Why? Why, why God, why don't you just heal our son? Why do we have to go through this nightmare yet once again? As Kenton told his story. He, he did not pretend to have the answers. In fact, he admitted that he and Marla still struggle with doubts from time to time, but, but he also shared an insight that God gave them during their last trip to the ER. Uh, their, their son was back getting a test ran, and so they, they took the time to hurriedly run down to the hospital cafeteria and, and, and grab a quick bite to eat and said they were sitting down at their table, and they looked over and saw another young couple at a table next to them and they said they recognized that look. Across from them, they saw red puppy eyes. They saw fear. They saw anxiety. They saw the uncertainty that looked all too familiar. Kitten said, I, I started to, to, to look away, not wanting to get involved. I, I've got problems of my own. But his wife, Marla, said, hey, we need to go talk to them. And so he reluctantly followed his wife to the table where he introduced where they introduced themselves and simply asked, what's going on? We, we, we notice that you're struggling. And as they began to tell their story of a child that, just like theirs, had been brought into ER and was back getting tests now, and they were uncertain what was going to happen, uh, Kitten said, I, I, I said just simply to them, can we, can we pray for you? And so there in the cafeteria with hustle and bustle around them, they they held their hands and prayed for this young couple. Said it, it wasn't immediate, but a little bit later, he and his wife Marla both came to the same conclusion at about the same time. God just used us under the broom tree. God just used us in our doubts. God just used us in our hardship. God just used us in our struggle. We'll look next week and see a little bit more specifically what God ends up doing with Elijah under that broom tree. But no, God has a purpose for your life. And he has a plan. And he still has power. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning that you use us. Father, you, you sometimes use us in the miracle. We rejoice, we have joy, we're excited when things are working the way we, we think they should. When, when you answer prayer and you bless us, and Father, we, we live in the richness 
of your glory. Father, we thank you for those miracle moments. But Father, far too often we find ourselves under the broom tree. And and the reality is you want to use us there as well. Father, give us the wisdom and the insight to hear your voice, to see the opportunity during those hardships and struggles. We thank you, Father, that you are the God of the miracle and you're the God of the hardship at the same time. Father, use today those of us that that find ourselves under the broom tree. Father, prepare us to be a blessing to someone else. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.